Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Hello and welcome to Journey to Success Radio. My name is Diana Dettinger, best-selling author of the book Modus Vivendi, Your Life, Your Way, as well as co-author of Journeys to Success, Volume 2. As an international speaker and founder of the Meaning of Life School, my mission is to help you connect your innate talents for a healthier, happier, and more filling life. I especially support coaches and women over 40 who have lost themselves in serving others. You can find out more about this interview at journeystosuccessradio.com. And today I have the honor to have a co-host and his name is Michael Watt living in the New York area. Hey, Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yes. Hi, Diana. Thank you. Uh, My name is Michael Watt. Uh, I go by the moniker Mr. Long Island. We have a lot of fun with that. Uh, Long Island is a region of 2.7 million people living just outside of New York City. Uh, We're America's first suburb. And as a result of that, we're adjusting to having the, the next generation of young people looking to uh, establish roots in the region. And uh, I primarily focus on working with them and trying to uh, enable them to or empower them to really tap into um, the power that they have that they don't necessarily know they have. And uh, we do that through a variety of sources. So I'm very happy to be here. Thank you very much. Super. Instead, today's guest today is Michelle Casey, and we are going to have fun. So Michelle is a very powerful woman, and she's accomplished something many only dare to dream about, and she did it in just one year. She's an advocate of the self-help genre since the early 1990s, and Michelle randomly chose to listen to Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich audio while cleaning her house, you know, of all things, you know, get, getting self-help, motivation, <laughs> doing some pretty boring tasks. But anyway, since then, you know, or, or she always has been pretty much a seeker of, of inner peace under this, you know, built up clutter, which was hard evidence that her life was not in balance. And I think a lot of people find that, you know, it's a lot of energy blocks when there's just mess and clutter around your house. But anyway, so the audiobook is what inspired, inspired Michelle as it outlined the 17 principles of achievement and the importance of having a definite purpose in life. This ignited an inexo- in this inextinguishable spark within Michelle's core. Those are long words. I'm already starting to <laughs> dribble over them. Yeah, but anyway... We all know that, you know, Napoleon Hill is an amazing, amazing tool. So even for the listeners, if you have not read Think and Grow Rich, if you haven't, you know, even listened to the audio, this is a, you know, Michelle is living proof that these 17 principles 
really work. So she's quoted on saying, I decided there and then that 2015 was going to be a year of action to take all of the things I had learned over the years and apply them. I started intense lessons with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. I earned a certification in life coaching. She joined Toastmasters and even decided to write a book. So today we're going to talk about her book, and I'll let her introduce it because it is hilarious. So she has not only just released this book, but also wrote a contributing chapter for a Napoleon certified, Napoleon Hill certified instructors mastermind group. So super mega welcome, Michelle Casey. Um, go ahead. Take it, baby. Thank you so much, both of you, Deanna and Michael, for having me on the show. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to explain my position on why I wrote the book. The book is called Your Hairy Godmother. She is your hair trauma preventionist. And the objective of the book was to raise the awareness of the lack of communication in the salon. A lot of the problems that happen in the salon chair are as a result of miscommunications. And it is my endeavor to correct this problem and bring change to the salon industry, which I've been involved in for the past 26 years. You have a foreign accent. So you were born in England, right? Yes, I was. I was born in Nottingham, in England. And in 1983, I dropped my plans to become a history teacher and left my college behind to come and explore the United States of America. My mother had been living here. And I came to join her and decided that this was the opportunity, the land of opportunity. And I took that leap of faith and have never looked back. And so you've always, was that your first job? Did you invent yourself or study as a, as a, as a beauty parlor, salon? Uh, how, well, how? well, I had uh, written in the chapter, uh, refusing to quit with the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And my story is pretty much in there. But what happened to me was I came to the United States of America and I wrote that chapter called Without a Compass. I have to be completely honest. I had no direction. I knew that I needed to be here. I knew that there was something, but I had not figured out what that thing was. And starting here in the United States as an immigrant, it's really hard. It was hard for me to figure out what my direction was and without a college education I was destined at that time to work in food and beverage and do the mundane jobs that you know, people tend to feel that that's their only option but as time went on I was presented with the opportunity somebody walked into a restaurant one day and said you have an amazing attitude and you seem to be very fun have you ever considered doing hair so I took that opportunity and I, I I got into the industry because I honestly felt like it was a viable way to be creative and become my own business owner and the college time would be short in comparison with a four-year degree. How long did you uh, did you cut hair for? I've been doing it for 26 years. I still am active in the salon. I've cut my hours considerably because now my passion is speaking and communicating and recognizing in the industry there have there's been a shortfall of coaching questions being asked to clients to help them figure out what it is that they want to see and how people see themselves in the mirror is 
very powerful on how they interact with the world. Once they walk outside of the salon, I see a noticeable difference in their energy and how they feel about themselves when they leave as opposed to when they're, when they're coming in. And I think that the world can have an impression on how they receive us, on how we look. It's very powerful, the preconceived ideas that people will have by the visual image of somebody. So that's why it plays such an important role in self-esteem and how people carry themselves through the world. You made yeah, a I, point I, of people being uncomfortable looking at themselves in the mirror. Uh, could you just expand upon that a little bit? Uh, absolutely. I can tell you as a hairdresser and being in the field for 26 years and looking through the conversations, I look through my, my computer registers, how many clients have been uh, in to see me, how many transactions I've had. Since 2009, I've had 10,000 conversations with people about this topic. And typically what I see with clients sitting in front of the salon, they will, in front of the salon mirror, they will look at themselves and can probably rattle off 20 or 30 things that they do not like about themselves. But if I, and I'll look at them and I'll say, can you tell me your favorite feature? They have to sit and think about that. Because their programming has been such what they've heard from people through their life or their exterior appearance to people, people have passed judgment about certain things. For the most part, I see women particularly beat themselves up in front of the mirror, and it's heartbreaking. Men tend to be less vocal about that, but I think that they're impacted as well, but not to the degree I've seen women. Well, do you think that that's often um, sort of the I you know not the fault or but the influence that mass media has that there's always the supermodels and I mean it could have been true that years ago they had the figure they had that was represented in that photograph but now we know that they're all photoshopped they're all thighs are lengthened and faces improved um, do do women ever tell you that they sort of compare themselves or how does that work out? Thank you, Deanna. That's an excellent question. And I'll tell you what I found. I think that the goal may be to look more like the people that are portrayed in the media, but I don't think from what my experience is, that's where the problem originates. I think it's much closer to home. I think it's come from criticisms of things that they've encountered through life, whether it's been at work. And, and I also have recognized that genres seem to play a, a role in it. For instance, that people who, are, who grew up and were becoming um, more prevalent, particularly women in the 60s, they had the, the pressures of family. It seemed to be the self-esteem was much more a collective thing. It seemed to be something that you had you had to family reputation to be concerned about and that seemed to be a much more common thing than esteem is now self-esteem seems to be much more of a personalized and individual thing so you don't have so much of the pressures of what people are putting on you personally but you have your own inner expectations what your own inner voice is telling you what you should be how you should look and what you're capable of and I've, that's where I've seen the shift. But for the most part, it doesn't seem to be the media. I think the media just emphasizes the fact that it's, it's happening and 
you know, I think that we all understand, well, I won't say all, but a lot of people understand that the media and Photoshopping and all of the things that we can do now can indeed um, alter the perceptions of people and it's not real. But I think yeah, exactly. Problems, I think that the problems are actually coming from personal relationships and personal experiences that have shaped their opinion about themselves. I'll give you a quick example. I had a lady the other day who came in for a drastic change. We're a specialty salon. She had hair below uh, her bra strap in her, in her back, and she had worn it that way since she was a high school graduate. She was now in her 50s, and she needed a new look. And all she was doing was pulling her hair back. And she had naturally curly hair, a lot of it. And she wanted something that would be more stylish. And she said, please don't cut it short enough to where you show my ears. I have ugly ears. I looked at her ears and I said, who, who told you they were ugly? She said, well, I have my mom's ears. And she told me that I have her ears and they're ugly ears. And that woman was in her late 60s and believed that she should never have a haircut revealing her ears. Because of what I can't something, believe that. It, it happens more than you can even imagine. More than it's it's amazing to me how people come in and tell me that their foreheads are too large or their noses are too long, and I see it day after day, hour after hour, and have done for years. How people will pick out a feature that's not even noticeable to that person. In actual fact, the thing that was noticeable about the lady was her color was wrong for her, and she had white roots. Wow. But her, her perception of how she saw her ears overrode anything else she saw yeah well i don't know if uh, if michael's gonna have a lot of fun but i'm gonna i'm gonna do a little bit of girl talk here so here i grew up just as a personal story so i grew up in an enormous midwestern american family and i mean there there was at one point you know 250 blood relatives and i would look at the seven sisters of my mother who all had different color hair, but they all had amazingly thick hair from the red to the blonde to the brown. And I inherited my father's side of the family's hair. And it was just so thin. I mean, it was just so thin. And so I've always been, which is why I'm so you know happy to meet you and you know excited to read your book. Um, you know, I've always been very, very picky about my salon, you know, my hairdresser, and especially very attentive to the kind of products they use if they have too many chemicals and, you know, don't cut it too short because it grows slow and make sure you, you know, when you, when you turn it with the brush, then, you know, cover up a little of the, the balding spots in the temples. And, and it is, it is, I mean, for, for for women, the 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 hair. What I found in every woman, whether they love their hair or not, they're still very very. Uh, it's not picky, but they're very conservative about you know. This is really a statement about who I am. You know. Anyway. Hair is, is put on our heads for two reasons. One for protection of the scalp and the other is for adornment. Exactly. And now, you know, probably back in the, 
what, in the 50s, women were, in the 60s, women were still wearing a lot of hats. And I remember that my mother actually had a set of wigs. And so there was the wig that she would wear, like on Sunday to go to church, or there was the wig she would wear uh, if they would go out in the evening. And that, that's funny, you're right, adornment. And now there's a little bit less of that. There might be extensions, but um, women wear less hats. So I guess it is more important that really what they have can accentuate, you know, their, their natural beauty. And I'm sure because I, I know you're a very talented and creative person that even if someone does have the tall forehead or the long forehead, then you would just design a style to make, to make their features beautiful, right? Well, absolutely. But there's also the question that that people limit themselves because they have these beliefs about what is wrong with their features. So I have to combat and convince people that they'll say, what do you think will look good on me? And they may not take that on because they already have a built-in belief of what's going to look right for them. So that's what this book is about. It's about helping clients identify what is really their dream and vision for themselves. And then I match what their criteria is to the hairstyle that they want. But there's been no real communication coaching in the salon industry. And when you find that hairdresser that you can have that trust, you've just explained very well how important it is to a woman that she has her hair in in order to where it makes her feel good about herself it's an extension it's an external external expression of her self esteem and it really people, is and and more women depending on their life experience have a stronger attachment to that so when a hairdresser is putting on a style of t- talking about products which is the industry right now that's what they're doing Primarily, the focus is making sure the structure of the hair products to support that. The problem is, is that the communication and coaching that a hairdresser needs to master to find out what the client is really looking for, because what they're asking for is not necessarily what they may really necessarily want. Example, a client has come into me over the years and ask for me to give her a perm. I don't do those so much anymore. They're more, it's more color now. But back in the day, when perms were very popular, clients would ask for perms. And what they were doing were they were self-diagnosing their problem. They couldn't do anything with their hair, so they felt that if they got a perm, it would make it thicker, fuller, more manageable, and that they would have more options. When in actual fact, a perm would only change the texture and expand the texture of what they've already got on their head, creating a bigger problem for them. So when somebody comes in now, even to this day, why do you want a perm? Because I think I can manage it better. So then by asking the right questions, I'll say, what is your daily lifestyle? Do you want curly hair? Because that's what your perm's going to do. It can give you some body, but unless you're willing to take the time to style it, it's not going to perform the way you imagine it because people think a perm is shampoo and go and you don't have to do anything. It actually creates more work for somebody unless they want to wear it in a curly state. I would tell people, and this is something that Robert Promians from John Paul Mitchell Systems, I used to be an educator for them, cut creates the shapes, creates the finish. 
So when people come in with these magazine pictures or they're looking for something, they have an expectation and an idea, a perception of what they think their hair might do. So the questions need to be fielded in a way that the client understands the responsibility she's taking on when she's going to try one of those cuts, that there's going to be styling. Well, will it match your daily lifestyle? What are you going to do in the meantime? Because you're not always going to have that photo finish look unless you're willing to sit and put the time in for that. So where is the compromise that we can find? And that's what coaching is. If you think about the salon industry, the reason I wrote the book is because in the salon industry, I feel that if we could incorporate coaching, life I'm a certified life coach, if we could incorporate that into the communications and the consultation process in the salon environment, and we could get that on a national scale, I think that this is actually an international problem because I've worked in the resort area now for the past 26 years and in different towns and I've had people from all over the world come and sit in my salon chair and it seems to be something that has no borders. The fact that people have miscommunications in the salon and it just seems like people are getting a simple haircut or simple color. And it's like getting a lottery ticket sometimes for some people if the communication's not there and they're not clear on their expectations as far as verbalizing it to the stylist. I think that we've got great stylists out there. I think we've got great people out there. It's just getting them on the same page to where they can communicate. It's like marriage. There are, there's somebody for everybody, but sometimes communications can break down. And even though two people may have good intent, unless though the communication's good, it can break down a really great relationship. I think the same thing happens in the salon. Exactly. And it's funny that you mentioned even Paul Mitchell, because I, I've been a corporate trainer for 25 years, and I've actually done uh, sales training on Paul Mitchell representatives here in Italy where I live. And so I've, I know enough about, you know, their trials and tribulations and their concerns even, you know, really in, 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 in helping the, the stylist, uh, one, create a business and have profits and have return customers and always add on that extra thing that, you know, will really help them, uh, you know, with a word of mouth, because majority, I think the majority of hairstylists are local and the majority of their business is really word of mouth. So having a reputation, you know, I think you've, I think you're really on to something because, you know, I'm, I've been in the training industry for quite a while. Um, that is something just that, that I feel that these, especially small business owners. And this is where, you know, Michael, you probably know a lot. They're small business owners, but they're even creative people. They have their own um, interpersonal relationships and business relationships with their staff. Plus they want their client to be satisfied. I mean, if you can start up a uh, a stylist coaching school and give them even the communication skills, I think it is a big plus. We already have that. Your hairy godmother was just basically the introduction to the concepts that we are teaching in our salon and uh, with other salons. And that basically is the introduction to the public. Behind the scenes, my salon manager, Katie Wolf and I have developed Stylist Consult, which is a consulting company that works with stylists 
and salon owners on teaching them our coaching techniques. We have a systemized consultation which helps people get to the nuts and bolts and things in a time efficient way. The biggest problem in the salon environment is a hairdresser is always fighting the clock. So to sit down and listen to somebody and be able to manage that conversation in a timely fashion is sometimes near an impossibility. And so it'll be skipped over and just get the task done and hope for the best. And also clients feel pressured then being put on the spot, having to take responsibility and ownership in what they really want. So there's a way that we, we've developed a system that becomes a collaborative effort for both stylist and client to uh, work together on so that there's no opinion. It's a guiding process, not a controlling process. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, is that where you, where are you, where would you like to take your business then in the next three years? Wow. Well, I would like to be the Tony Robbins of hair. <laughs> That's what I'd like to do. I want to empower people on both sides of the chair and show them the that they have the power to be their best self and to not doubt themselves and to expand happiness. Deepak Chopra wrote that success is the expansion of happiness. And so... I have a map of what I'm doing. I'm currently working with a online course and, and developing that, working with a SEO strategist and uh, online marketer and shooting videos now. So Haircology will be st something you'll start to see running over the internet very soon. We have been, uh, we've, we've got the footprint and now are going to take our big first steps in the next three months. So that's what's happening. Haircology will be the concept. Your hairy godmother will be the figurehead for how the client can relate and uh, submit questions through that website. And Stylist Consult will be where stylists can go and access the information that they need for the coaching. And what we tend, plan to do and have, have started already is building the community, minding the gap, as they say in England, bridging that communication gap between stylist and client because at this time in the industry we are taught as hairdressers how to engage with clients and and retain build business how to sell product how to master our craft and to serve them in that capacity the missing link to building that relationship and managing the relationship well is in the communications process and it all starts with a consultation which is what your hairy godmother is about and it just that's beautiful through, through the stories that i've learned over the years and i just share stories with people of how this revelation has come about and every story that people read in that book i've had so many people come to me oh my gosh that's happened to me oh my gosh that's happened to me and i hear it over and over no matter which story people will relate to at least one of those stories in the book. Even if you're a guy, I do have something in there for the fellas, Michael. Well, you're talking <laughs> to somebody who's had the same haircut for the last 20 years. Um, so, you know, Michelle, I was wondering if, if, if you'd want to touch on a little bit. I think there's an interesting analogy between uh, deciding, you know, how you want your hair to look, uh, you know, how do you want to be, how do you want to appear in public, and writing a book in that when you write the book, you're really kind of putting yourself out there. And, 
you know, that it can be very challenging. And you talk about people with preconceived notions that their ears are ugly and whatnot. A lot of people think they can't write. Uh, you decided you were going to write a book, and then within a year, you had one. Can you walk us through a little bit what, what it took for you to overcome that, or if you had any initial concerns about putting yourself out there like that? Well, absolutely. That's a great question, Michael. Thank you so much for bringing that to light. Yes, writing the book. It's something that had been in with inside me for years, but you know, as I explained to you, I came over to the United States. I do not have a four-year college degree. I do not have things that, you know, I could sing my accolades over my achievements. I'm just a simple hairdresser. And who would ever want to listen to me? But as I went through things and saw the possibilities of understanding if I could just connect the people, and I think I'm just in the right time at the right place with social media. And it was that weekend that I stayed home to clean my house. How mundane does that sound? Well, let me tell you what happened. I've been trying to help so many people. I was drowning in my life to the point where my desk was piled up. It was Thanksgiving weekend coming up and the holidays. Any hairdresser will tell you how hard we work at the holidays because that is a funnel like a traffic jam like you wouldn't believe because every person that you know and have been working with in whatever frequency they come, they want their hair done right for the holidays. And I was exhausted. So I, I was supposed to go out of town. It was Thanksgiving weekend. And I said, I just can't do it. I just have to stay home. I told my boyfriend, I said, it is something that I just have to do for myself. I need five days off the grid, unplugged, and I'm just going to stay home and declutter my life. It wasn't I had a piled up desk. My whole mind was feeling that way. And I thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. So I put on the audio of Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. I'd had a copy for years. I thought it was just a book about business and another book. But you know what Napoleon Hill did for me, Think and Grow Rich, and the more I've learned about it, the more I've learned about that man. It is the, the seed to every self-help book that you have out there. This man was the seed of all of that. He's the grandfather of this. And that he was able to, he was a man ahead of his years. He was able to boil it down to the point if you just simply master the 17 principles of achievement and you examine yourself clearly on each and every one. And I, I embraced it because it encapsulated every self-help book that I read. I, th I feel were derivatives of this book, but this was the core. And it took me to the core. So from that, I said, okay, I need to teach this. This is what I need to do. I'm a tired hairdresser, but in my I'm 52 years old. What am I going to do when I run out of steam? I can teach this. Why are they teaching this in schools? I looked up online, and that's where I found the Napoleon Hill Foundation. And then I saw what it would be to take the course. I did the, the at-home study course first. Then I did the PMA online course, and then I did the unthinkable thing for a hairdresser is to take 10 days off work completely. The first 10 days I'd taken off in 10 years and drive across country to Indiana. It was in this country, and I went over to the Napoleon Hill certif Leader Certification Program, and it changed my life. And by applying these principles and seeing other people who have come from nothing and have been in so much worse situations that I have in other world, other countries. I was embarrassed that I had not made more of myself in my life when I saw what people had overcome.
but I realized that the problem was what was in between my ears, my mind, by harnessing control of my mind and realizing that you have to have a vision, that's what changed it. So when I did that, that's when Cosmic Habit Force came into play and I started meeting people. And so I signed up at the National Speakers Association because I thought, I know I can speak. I just can't write. My grammar's not good enough. Plus, I'm English. I use words that people don't understand over here. But I met <laughs> a writing coach. I mean, I do. And so I met a writing coach and he helped groom my idea and with and then I because then I set a goal for myself because if you don't put a date on it, it's not a goal, it's a dream. So I set my goal for November nineteenth, which was my mother's birthday. I started May eighteenth and I was having to get up at three thirty in the morning before I go to work to write this book. But that's when I did it. But the process was like having a baby. It was as if, okay, wow, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be a parent. And then the nausea came in because of all the things I knew I was going to have to do and what in the world am I going to write about because it was all in my head. And is it, is it then something that only I believe? So then I started asking and then I started writing the stories and remembering the people. And then it was the people, the clients that had taught me and the experience of writing that book that made me understand that what I have is truth. And as I was writing the book and going through it, and that's how when the baby forms and your stomach gets bigger, as the body of the book developed, and I could see it happening, and then people would read chapters, and it, it would be like, oh, the baby's coming along. It's, look at it. It's developing. It's growing. And then the book was done. And that day when I had to hit send to the publisher and the printer, I thought, in the end, it's my truth. Whether people believe it or not, I know it's true. And I sent it with the intent to help. So I hit send. So the book comes back. It's now being published. And it's like now my baby has grown into a teenager. And once I released it out there for all to see, that's like my teenager going off to college. And the thing about a video or something like that, you get in a review right away. I wasn't going to hear back. I wasn't going to hear back until people had read the book. And that's when you know that you've done a good job with your child is when you start hearing back from people. And that's what it was like writing that book. Michelle, you mentioned PMA, uh, Positive Mental Attitude, correct? Correct. Now, let me ask you, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this because I, I go to, I've been going to the same uh, hair salon, if you will, for the last 20 years. And I'm in the corner, mind my own P's and Q's. And there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of people go to get their hair cut and they just unburden themselves. Did you find that challenging to not get caught up in, in that negativity, understanding that, that that's part of the process? Well, when you go through the book, you'll understand that the reason I call it your hairy godmother is because people do come in. They, you know, it's a comb, not a wand. But and that's a joke in the industry. But I thought to myself, you know, you, we used to think of fairy godmothers and princesses, and that's how we, we think that there's going to be this magical formula that's going to transform us into what we want to be or think we should be. So the, the book starts out with once upon a time, there was a real, uh, there's a princess, only she's not like the princesses in the, in the cartoons of old. She's a modern day princess and she's running her own kingdom and she can live with or without a prince. It's a different era and you don't have a fairy godmother, but you can have a hairy godmother. So that's really 
the, what the hairdresser does, that person that is close enough to your situation in life, but not close enough to where she could betray a confidence. So people do unburden. So I have a, a chapter in there called Castle Walls Can Keep Us Safe and Happy. And that's about boundary settings. That's for professionals as life coaches, counselors, all are taught in their, in their training how to set boundaries. Hairdressers are not taught that. And because we're, we get into the business, people think it's for the money. When we make all this money, you should look at the national statistics on how low the wages are for the average hairdresser. And I will tell you that most of this is written because hairdressers, and the book addresses both the client and the hairdresser. I've had hairdressers have, have come to me, many of them have said, oh my gosh, this is so, I can so see me in this book and I haven't known how to navigate through setting boundaries. So I, I lay out in the book how to set the boundaries to where you can be the hairdresser. And I'll tell my clients, you're gonna have many friends and we can be friends, but in here, I'm your hairdresser because you only have one hairdresser. You have many friends. And there are some people that are really lonely and want to sort of attach themselves to you. I refer them to other organizations or I tell them books and I listen and I encourage, but I don't get involved. When in, in the old days, I'd go take them dinner. And there's occasionally I'll still do that, but not to the point where I run myself into the ground, which I've been guilty of doing. Now, I'm trying to remember if it was Cinderella or... Uh, um, the Wizard of Oz, where the the fairy godmother tells the protagonist that, uh, you know, I was here all along. You just wished me here. I mean, you know, these people, everybody has the, the power. They don't really need the fairy godmother. They just need somebody to bring out that power within. Would you say that's true or... You have really hit the nail on the head because nobody is that powerful. Happiness comes from within, and so hairdressers feel the emotional responsibility to make people happy in the chair. And we're not that powerful, but what we can do is support, not fix, guide, not control. And that's through effective coaching and communication, setting healthy boundaries, and recognizing what is ours and what is theirs, and how then we can collaborate together to bring what the client's looking for, which ultimately is something that they can manage where they can feel good about themselves. And that's why this book has been just the, I'm just cracking the surface on addressing the issue. Yeah, that's wonderful because you, you know, you see with people, it's, it's pretty much the same when people buy clothes. I mean, any, if a man goes and buys a tie or a woman goes by, you know, the shoes, it's funny. What I find is people will go and buy the clothes and the salesperson will say, oh yeah, you really look good in that. But the relationship with a hairdresser, probably because it's hands-on, because they massage your head, because they have a certain, not power, but they do, they, they influence you if they're distracted and they cut your hair wrong, you know what I mean? There's a different kind of intimacy that I think people feel with a hairdresser who has that, let's say, responsibility to make their client feel happy or look good, which is the same responsibility, if you will, someone who sells, you know, clothes or shoes. But it's different because those sales reps, I think, don't touch the client. 
I, I think you're exactly right, Diana. It's it's just one of these things where you, you think about what other industry do you have, especially if you have a, a hair client that's been with you for years. I have had clients that started coming to me. In fact, I've got one just at the, off the top of my head. Her name is Carol. I've been cutting her daughter's hair since she was 12 years old. They used to come as a family. Now that young lady is 22 years old and has got an engineering degree and is going off to college. And I feel that with the mother as we've raised our daughters together and that we have these common conversations. And it's it's a transition. And then there's times where Somebody has grown um, and had a, a child and then I cut the child's hair and then I'm sure the next phase now is I'll be cutting their child's hair because I've been in it for so long. And the thing about this, and Michael, I'd be interested to know because we just did some, uh, we just ran a survey and we, we've, we've ran some d statistics. And if you could be candid with me and indulge me for a second, could you do that? Sure. Oh, absolutely. Okay. So... Men are a different animal when it comes to sitting in front of the mirror. For the most part, they are. And so we ran a survey. What was the number one reason you would leave a hairdresser? And I, I would be interested. I'll tell you the statistics. But what would be the number one reason, Michael, you would leave a hairstylist? Well, you may be asking the wrong person because I'm having an ongoing debate with my wife. I have literally been going to the same man for 20 years. And the nicest way I can put it is his eyesight is going. And okay. uh, my last, second to last haircut I came home with, I had a scab on my forehead because he, he nailed me in, in the forehead with the scissors. And my wife was very upset. And she's like, you got to find somebody else. I'm like, the man's been cutting my hair for 20 years. I cannot walk away from him. And I found out last night, because I was sharing this experience with a third party in front of my wife. And she informed me that he did not cut the, um, the left side of my head. He just cut the right side. So um, so we have a debate. So that's a very good question. What would it take for me to no longer go to a hairstylist? Um, I would have to say just not listening to what I said if I, if I asked for my hair cut a certain way and, and he or she did it something different. Well, that's an amazing answer because 72% of the people surveyed, men and women, said that the number one reason that they would leave a stylist is because they weren't listening. I will say that 90% of the men who said that they would uh, leave a hairdresser, the, the men, we have 10% of our clientele is men. I, I'm primarily a ladies hairdresser. But 98% uh, uh, of the 10% of our male clientele said, or not our clientele, but that were surveyed, said that the number one reason they would leave is price. A lot of times men are more, and I don't mean to generalize, but men are not as complicated as women when it comes on the whole for uh, choices. It's just like Deanna said, when a woman has to get ready for an event, she's got to figure out her shoes, she's got to figure out her, her hair accessories, and shoe, do the shoes match the dress? The man just has to wear a tux, and it's not really a big question of what all he has to think about that's going with that, and you want the, the color of makeup, all of that stuff. So men will typically, when you find a man that is, is happy and that the job is done right, they are one of the most loyal clients that you can have, 
and they I found that they're least reluctant to change if their needs are being met and so you have developed a loyalty to your hairstylist and even though that maybe you're not getting the actual class performed correct there's a part of you that's connected to this professional where you don't want to walk away and my friend is not an uncommon thing that people are actually sitting in people's chair and I've I've written it how to break up with a hairdresser because it's an epidemic <laughs> well because it's it's all it's all about change you know we we know what we have and even you know this is from the coaching industry we know what we have but we don't know what we can get. So even if what we have, and it could be a relationship, it could be a you know job you don't like, at least we know the the advantages or disadvantages of of having that. And then when we venture into the new realm of changing, you know, a hairstylist, it's well, will they be? you know, as good? Will their, you know, other, uh, you know, assistants be as friendly? Will they be on time? Will they respect the appointments? Will their prices be good? Will their products be good? Yeah, it's a, yeah, I agree with you. In a nutshell, it's will I be worse off? And leaving a hairdresser, if you've been attached to one, and especially when it's attached to your self-esteem, I mean, there's so many things commingled in, in this process which is why I feel that the need for this communications and coaching in the salon is a, it's an obvious must, but it's not actually been addressed because it's like, it's like when people talk about money with one another, they're, they're not necessarily fully comfortable. People talk on the surface about things, but they won't get down to the nitty gritty. There's some things that you just kind of keep to yourself. And so I find that in the salon industry, People are approaching these things, and it may just be a haircut. It may be just you want to have something done, you want to look better and feel better. But to tell somebody they're not doing a good job who's actually touching you or shampooing you or you've you've become friends with and gotten familiar with, how do you broach that subject? How do you ask somebody, actually, I didn't love that. Now, some people are very comfortable doing that, but the nice clients, the ones that aren't happy, who don't want confrontation, it's fight or flight for them. And that seems to be how it is in relationships. So the salon relationship is not unlike that situation of a marriage. I know lots of married people, especially as a hairdresser, that are staying married because it's scarier not to be. Hmm. Exactly. Not because <laughs> they're happy. Because the the what devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, right? Exactly. And that's why the people, but what if, what if we were to change the whole mindset of that? When you change the way you look at things, things you look at change, Wayne Dwyer said. So what if we were to then set a new precedent and have a new level of communication? Because I was one of the hairdressers that was so attached to my people and they would unload on me and I would unload on them. I got confused about my role. And so I became their friend who they were paying who happened to cut their hair. And I write stories about this in Your Hairy Godmother. Dawn, who is in my book, uh, how she was a friend that I was cutting for free. And in the end, she cheated on me. It was like a Jerry Seinfeld show. She cheated on me and she went to some other hairdresser. And I couldn't believe, why would she leave me? I was giving it away. And it was because... She was not getting her needs met and she was sneaking around on me. But then finally I, I told her, I said, 
what is it I've done? She said, I want you to treat me like a client. And what she was doing was being worked in as a friend and not getting the full service that I delivered to clients. And so that was one of my closest friends. We still laugh about it today. So through the book, people will learn what it's like to be a hairdresser. And hopefully clients will learn, um, hairdressers will learn and have more insight on the struggles that a client is having. I was just going to ask you, Michelle, who was the book written for? For other hairdressers or for for people as to what they should demand from the hairdressers or who should be reading this? This book was written for those sitting in the salon chair as well as those standing behind it. And how can people get a hold of the book? You can go to Amazon.com and uh, just Google your hairy godmother, not the hairy godmother, your hairy godmother, and you can get a copy of it then. I'm also gonna have it available. I have not got it out on Kindle yet. Um, Amazon is the only way you can get it as of right now. It's a new launch, uh, but I'm working with getting a uh, downloadable PDF, which will be coming from the website that should be available within the next 90 days. Super. Any, uh, well, so with, with all of your, with the love of the job you, you do, which I, you know, that hats off already to have the same, you know, passion in being a, a self-made woman, creating and finding and maintaining a job that you love in having that become a successful business, then, you know, branching off into the coaching and, and the book you know, what three advice things could you or would you give to the listeners, you know, who want to, you know, take on a, a dream or, or overcome some fear in their life? What would you recommend them do? Well, first of all, I'd say pick up a copy of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill and don't just read it, live it uh, with the 17 principles of achievement. But I would really say this start where you are use what you have you don't have to have the uh, as i heard somebody say just uh, today you don't have the big yacht ready for you to set sail you can just start start swimming if you have to use a raft use what you have and know that when you've made that clear decision that things will come in front of you it is amazing how cosmic habit force the more you thoughts become things the more you think about what you want and that's what i'll tell clients all the time people are always ready with their laundry list of what they don't want of all the obstacles focus on what you can do and and what is possible and and tell yourself on, over and over it's limitless what you can achieve what the mind can conceive it will achieve there is no greater truth than that uh, the other thing is just keep your eye on the why you're doing it because when i was writing that book and i was thinking how i was going to implement the the information what i was going to tell people i just thought to myself this is too big and who's going to listen to me and i i don't really know what i'm saying but i knew why i was very clear on why and why i wrote it was because I have a true passion to help people and I can't do it on the scale that I want to standing behind the chair. There are more people out there than I'll ever be able to reach in a lifetime. And I know if I start this conversation, even if I can't touch as many people as I, I want to, somebody else will then pick it up and that I wanted that legacy. And that's what I say. Focus on your why and the how will come. 
Super. Well, how can people get a hold of you? I'm sure listeners are going to be very curious. And who knows, people might even go to Hilton Head on purpose on vacation so they can get their hair cut by you. (laughs) Give us your contact information. uh, The contact information is in the book, but your best way to reach me, you can go to Michelle Casey Speaks at Gmail dot com. That's my email address. You can visit my website to your hairy godmother and sign in and then uh, keep tabs with me there. And then I'll be sending out shout outs for people uh, as I'm updating them on things that are coming. We're getting to roll out some really big things by the first of the year. And also I'm working on the next chapter for the Napoleon Hill going the extra mile uh, for the certified leaders book. That's going to be um, coming out probably Uh, towards the late fall and then I have another book that I'm working on too which that should roll out in the spring so there's a lot of things that are happening and it's been a snowball effect they say that a Chinese bamboo tree you plant the seeds and it can take five years before you ever see a shoot and then in that six months it'll shoot up to up to 90 feet and that's where I'm at now this has been years in the process And Napoleon Hill and his book, Think and Grow Rich, was the part that really was the catalyst for the change. And it was developing a massive action plan, write down your goals. And that's what that program, PMA, did for me. It forced me to be real with myself and set goals because a lot of people will underestimate what they can do in two months and overestimate what they can do in two years. Well, Michelle, I noted you you mentioned you wrote the book in just one year. And if you look at the first three letters of each word, the first letter of each word, it spells out J-O-Y or joy. And it seems like you had a lot of joy writing it and you're having a lot of joy talking about it. So I really appreciate your time on this. This has been great. Well, I appreciate appreciate the the conversation and that you guys do really want to listen to me. (laughs) Thank you. Real life people, because, uh, you know, the reviews, but it's the people, I wrote this book for the people who come to the salon and have been there, and even for the ones that I've made the mistakes on, it's my apology to them, but I just know that anybody who has sat in the salon and had the experience, and I know there's so many, when they get a hold of this book, they'll understand it's starting the conversation. This book is not the answer, it's the start. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Michelle Casey, author of the book, Your Hairy Godmother, for being our special guest on the Journey to Success radio show. Thank you for the uh, profound questions to my co-host today, Michael Watt, who helps young entrepreneurs in Long Island. And for any other information, go to journeytosuccessradio.com. Thanks, Michelle. And thanks, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Deanna. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email tom at tomtootall.com for details.